Hello, I'm Bertie Twizzleman, obituaries and editorials editor for the BMJ. I'm talking to Danny Dorling, Halford Mackinder Professor of Geography at the School of Geography and the Environment at Oxford University. Hi, Danny. Hi there. Your editorial is about homelessness and public health, and your opening paragraph um, already paints a very gloomy picture, um, talking about staggering rises in the numbers of people sleeping rough, families and individuals and temporary accommodation, and the hidden homeless. Um, Can you tell us a bit more about this? Uh, Yes, you have to be, you know, almost um, unable to see, to not see the rise in homelessness that's occurred in recent years. The the key point is is that there's a kind of iceberg of homelessness. The most obvious homelessness is homelessness on the street. And that has increased since 2010 from less than 2,000 people sleeping rough a night uh, to approaching uh, 4,800 in January 2018. It's risen by 15% in the last year. That's the most visible side of homelessness. But for every person that you see sleeping on the street, there are many people in tents or hidden in car parks and elsewhere sleeping rough. And for every one of them, there are many people on the edge of homelessness who've managed to get a friend to let them stay one more night on the sofa or something else, but who are living in fear, who are on the very edge of being on the streets. And of course, there are many hundreds of people in hostels who've just come off the streets or may go back on again. And I can go on and on because for each of these groups, there are people in rent arrears um, who are worried that they will be next to go. And so you have a massive uh, public health problem where you only see the iceberg of it of people sleeping on cardboard in shop doorways. So tell us more about the public health problem this poses. Well, the public health problem is most acute for those who are sleeping out in the cold or sleeping rough. Uh, They have an average age of death of about 47 uh, and as you can imagine a huge number uh, of health problems and some of these are are circular. Of course there's relatively high drug use amongst quite a lot of the street homeless but you know what would you do if you were on the street? So it isn't necessarily that one thing causes another but amongst uh, people on the edge of this homelessness or people who are accepted as homeless by local councils and rehoused There is enormous anxiety. 100,000 children were in bed and breakfast accommodation over Christmas, not at home. Um, The studies that we've done have found that the effects of being in rent arrears, that is, you know, if you don't carry on or find a way of paying the rent, you will be evicted. Uh, The the health effects of being in rent arrears is equivalent to the health effects of losing your job of being made unemployed. Uh, So this is just as big a problem as unemployment and in many ways it's bigger because everybody has to have a house whereas unemployment actually only affects the working age population looking uh, for work and this affects the elderly and it affects the young uh, as well as the people that you more obviously see. Um, You can look at particular medical uh, issues uh, to do with homelessness, it affects people's skin, it affects their breathing and so on but underneath that it's really the anxiety and I think the the kind of depression it gets people in just thinking they may not manage to carry on being able to shelter themselves and they have to live in fear in a society which no longer guarantees that we will actually make sure that everybody is housed. Um, And what do you think is behind this? What what are the causes? 
Uh, the superficial causes are very easy to see in that the one big rise in people uh, being made homeless is evictions from private uh, tenancies. It's private renting and people being evicted because they haven't paid their rent or that the landlord simply wants the property. Um, and of course in Britain, unlike in the rest of Europe where they have decent rent regulation, in Britain you can evict somebody with just eight weeks notice. Um, so the government has figures that show that the overwhelming reason for the rise since 2010 is, is, is evictions from the private rented sector. Of course we've had a huge increase in the private rented sector. Uh, the number of people living in it has doubled between the 2001 and 2011 censuses. Uh, the number of families with children in England I think it's approaching a third of all families with children in England are now having to live in a private rented sector. Can I just uh, ask, um, is this because public housing is not being built and not available or is it because um, the number of private landlords has increased massively? Um, it's a mixture of things, uh, but underlying it is, is a set of policies that says it doesn't matter and the market can help. That politics never thought that this would house families with children. I mean, that the plan of expanding the private rented sector was for young professionals and so on, to make it more fluid. The idea that we house to a third of our children in England in homes from which they can be evicted with eight weeks notice. You know, children have friends, they go to school. You can't just move children on and on again, uh, but that's not happening. We haven't built uh, social housing in any significant numbers for decades. But also we've seen this enormous inequality in wealth rise. So we have actually built more housing and more flats. Uh, we haven't built uh, a huge number of actual units, but we've added bedrooms onto our existing stocks so that the number of bedrooms per person has carried on rising relentlessly up until the last time we counted in 2011. Uh, the problem is that the number of families who have multiple homes or who are underusing homes has risen dramatically and so there is less and less for those who are left. If you look at uh, private sector blocks in the middle of London at night you'll see there are no lights on in many because these flats have been bought simply as investments and nobody is living in them anymore. That, that's the extreme case but overall the inefficiency measure for housing is at an all-time high uh, that is the amount of housing that is not being used. Um, because people who are very well off can afford housing space. The, the, the classic example to get in your head is uh, a two-bed maisonette, which in the 1970s would have housed a family. Uh, a husband and wife and two children would typically have got it on the basis of need. That maisonette was bought by the family on the right to buy. They then sell it, a landlord buys it. The landlord then rents that maisonette out to a single young professional. So you just have one person in the maisonette rather than four. It, that shows you just how incredibly inefficient the market is when it comes to housing. And that is a large part of our problem. There's also, it has to be said, a good side to this, which is aging. Uh, as people have aged, and as they're living into their 80s and 90s, they're hanging around in houses for longer, often the family home, the three bed semi. And whereas before they would have died in their late 70s, they're now living on their own into their 90s, but still in a three bed semi. And that is actually increasing the inefficient use of our housing. Is this a particularly English problem or is it a London problem or a city's problem? Uh, it's most acute in London, um, but it is also very high in the other cities of England. Uh, it is only not high in other areas or rural areas because the homeless are chased out of particularly unsympathetic areas. I mean, 
you, listeners might remember the comments that were made by a local official uh, in Windsor about how he wanted the homelessness to be cleared from the streets before the royal wedding occurred there. That kind of clearing of the homelessness from the streets happens all over England. So the reason why there are concentrations in Brighton and Luton and Oxford is partly because the local councils are less nasty in these places. They have lower levels of homelessness in Scotland, particularly in Edinburgh, Glasgow, which are the places where, where you expect it. I mean, dramatically different, say, from Manchester. They have done a large number of things. Um, they've funded local authorities to actually uh, assist people, so they haven't had the 59% cuts that they've had south of the border. But they've also tackled the private landlords so that uh, private landlords can't charge all these special rates they do if you want a tenancy and so on. They've made that Ill illegal. But more important than that, they've, they've helped change the tones. Uh, since Scotland um, got power over its own government, they've changed the kind of ethos of the country, if you like, the moral sentiment to say we are about looking after each other and this is an embarrassment and this shouldn't be allowed to happen. And that hasn't happened in England. In England, there is a kind of quiet acceptance of homelessness as a price worth paying for an incredibly profitable housing business in London. Good God. I think in your editorial you said that um, this is a problem that is relevant Europe-wide. Yes, it is relevant Europe-wide. You'll find, you'll find homelessness Europe-wide. You'll find extreme homelessness in Athens, uh, although that is often refugees. Um, you know, whereas, whereas in Britain, this is not uh, refugees. The majority of homeless people are actually English, although there are disproportionate numbers of Eastern European people in London who are uh, on the streets now. Homelessness is across Europe, but we have one of the highest uh, rates as far as we can compare. We also have the most expensive housing in Europe um, and the least well-regulated housing. The best place for homelessness in Europe is Finland. And that isn't because it's so cold in Finland, it's because local authorities in Finland um, have policies of ensuring that people really are not not uh, on the streets. Ah, so you're talking about local councils. What could yeah. be done in this country to help? It's, it's, I mean, the problem is at the moment, it's, it's, it's a sort of nightmare because it's getting um, worse and worse. I mean, I'm talking to you from Oxford. In the last couple, two years in Oxford, we have halved the provision of emergency hostel beds because of the cuts to local authority funding. So if you want to be serious about it, a government that cared would requisition empty warehouses and some other property in city centres, put in bunk beds and provide emergency housing. You could then get people off the streets within 100 days of that government taking power. On top of that, uh, we need to change our rent regulation. So we have some rent regulation. Um, like the rest of Europe. And you can look at almost every other European countries for models of how to do this, but essentially you should not be able to be evicted from your home with just eight weeks notice and your landlord should not be able to book up the rent or whatever they feel like putting it up. While we allow that to happen, we will carry on having this kind of homelessness. Then we need to look at some of the other precursors, the situations that people uh, find themselves in when their family don't want to live with them anymore and, it, and it's more complicated. It, it's not a magic bullet to suddenly uh, reduce homelessness dramatically, but the easy wins are the first wins and, and they are making sure that people are not freezing to death on the streets and making sure 
that landlords are not evicting people at this incredible rising rate. It's risen last year, the year before, the year before, and the year before. And the rate of evictions is the single thing that explains why there are so many people on the streets nowadays. And what does it mean in terms of medical provision? What is needed there? Well, uh, there, there can be specialist medical provision for the homeless. In Oxford, we have a, a practice, a Luther Street practice, that deals uh, exclusively with homeless people who, who come in. Um, because they'll have a more complicated, more serious, wider range uh, set of issues. Um, but for your average general practitioner, they will now be dealing with patients who will present with some problems, but their underlying problems is the insecurity of their housing. And that will not have been the case when that general practitioner was working, say, 20 or 25 or 30 uh, years ago. So if you're a general practitioner who covers an area which used to be a council estate, but that council estate has now largely been brought up under right to buy, and those houses have then been brought on by private landlords, you're suddenly dealing with a set of patients who are precariously housed, which is very different from the stability that the generation above them had. I mean, I, I actually think it's hard to overemphasize the importance of this problem. I teach university students. I teach pretty well off university students in Oxford. But they, those who don't get very well paid jobs, they are currently facing a lifetime where they will rent in their 20s, rent in their 30s, rent in their 40s, and may still be renting from a private landlord in their 50s. Um, the rate at which our tenure pattern is changing in this country uh, doesn't show any signs of turning around. It, it should turn around, of course, because you, know, you can't have a population that simply allows this to be done to them. Um, but the important thing is not to think that the homeless is some other group and it's not people that you know, it's not people, that you, friends of yours, it's not your family. The shock is discovering when people you know actually become homeless and can't find somebody who will put them up. And the shame is so high that people don't talk about it. Um, so there's a stigma associated with this. Which is there there is um, some kind of saying that um, most people are only one or two paychecks away from being homeless. Yes. Uh, in America, it's um, I think it's about three weeks, and here it's about three months uh, uh, away. Uh, but of course, that assumes uh, that other people can't or won't help you. Um, the tragedy in Britain is that we've we've reduced the welfare state dramatically. In Oxford, if you present yourself as homeless and you've got a newborn baby, uh, you will be housed, but you may well be housed in Birmingham. Without that baby, without children, you will you will not be housed. So the welfare state doesn't uh, exist for many people. They have to rely on their family. Uh, a middle class person nowadays is relying on their family as their welfare state. If they become seriously ill, if they lose their job, or if their relationship splits up, and they can no longer afford the bills for housing, they need parents or somebody else they can move in with, or somebody will help cover. Uh, the rent and you've got to think for how long would would that last and we don't need to live in this situation our rents are ridiculously high in some cases they're twice as high as a mortgage our mortgages are ridiculously high because we have the highest house prices in Europe we don't have the highest house prices because we have the most wonderful houses it actually turns out the quality of our housing is pretty low the sound insulation is low the heating insulation is low 
Um, we've got ourselves into an embarrassing situation in England. Um, and it, it's not as bad as the United States, um, you know, where you see thousands, literally thousands of people in downtown Los Angeles on the streets. The danger is you can become used to this. Um, something that made me very sad recently is I, I was doing a talk in a school and in this school I talked about what might happen if we were to end homelessness and, and one of the boys who was about 14 said but there's always been homeless people there's always lots of homelessness and I suddenly realized he had never seen the situation in which you didn't have lots of people on the streets which I'm old enough to have seen and I had a horrible premonition of could he spend his whole life always thinking it was normal to occasionally step round or step over other human beings on the high street. Uh, and that's the worry is you become used to it and you think, some, you know, somehow you think, oh, this is just part of what you have to have to live in a capitalist society. Um, and that we must not get into the stage of thinking that this is normal.